0: The uh, the question we're going to be looking at today is whether or not the grace of God is a get out of jail free card. Is is the gospel of Jesus Christ a blank check that has been written for sinners? That's the question we're going to look at today. Um uh, if um if if you've been if you've been with us during the past several weeks, we've been looking through this uh Um, document that, that Paul wrote in the first century. Um, it's called the, the book of, uh, book of Romans, but it's actually a letter that was written, was written to a church. Can you guess where? Rome. Rome. Very good. So we got some Bible scholars here today. So, so (laughs) Paul wrote this letter to this church in Rome. And what, what, um, we've been seeing over the last several weeks, and if you haven't, if you haven't been able to join us, then you can catch up online. But, um, if you've been tracking with us, what we've been, what we've been learning is that Paul says that, is that, um, is that everybody sins? He says. He says people who are um, non-religious sin, and people who are religious sin. That's that's kind of where he's brought us so far. And um, the reason for that is that what God wants most of all, what what sin is, is to is to not do what God wants. When when we don't uh, behave the way that our Creator uh, designed us, then. Then things go wrong, and that's sin. So, uh, what God wants most of all from us is to love God and to love our neighbor. So that's that's what God wants, and we don't do it well. Um, sometimes we don't do it at all, and so that is called sinning. And obviously, people who aren't religious, they they don't they don't love God. They may not have ever heard about God. They may just have some vague sense that you know there's something up there or something like that, but they can't love God because they don't know God. But people who are religious. Um, they they often have the same problem. Maybe not every day, but they they fail to love God. They fail to love their neighbor, and they have less excuse because they know God. They know about God through His scriptures, and they know about God um, uh, through the law that He gave He gave to them. So Paul says they don't have any excuse either. In fact, they've got less excuse than the, the non religious people. So he says he says everybody has sin. But then he said, and this is what we looked at last week. He said God is aware of this problem. This is not news to God. God is aware of it, and that's why He sent Jesus, to set us right with Him. Not because we got things right, but because Jesus got them right on our behalf. So that's, that's where Paul has come from so far. And because Paul, because, ultimately because Paul knew back then what people were like, and because people back then weren't all that different from people today, Paul anticipated the next question that people would ask. They would say, they would say, Well, wait a minute. So if it's a good thing, if what what Jesus has done is a good thing, then you know, but by, by, by taking care of my sins, then if I sin some more, would that be even better? Because that would be really convenient. <laughs> And, and Paul anticipates this question. And before we look at Paul's answer, so, so, uh, Paul, Paul anticipates this question. He says, so what are we going to say? Should we continue sinning so grace may multiply? Because, you know, I've got a list in my head of, you know, all kinds of things, right? So, so that's the question that, that Paul anticipates people asking. And before we look at his answer, we need to acknowledge that that is a great question. That is a question, honestly, that comes from a position of tremendous faith. Because what it says is, I believe that Jesus can do that. That Jesus can actually deal with all of the sin that, that I have committed and, and maybe that I get to commit in the future. Um, it's a, it's a, it's an idea that, that Jesus has taken care of the sins, not just of myself, but of the whole world and not just the, the, the small sins, the easy ones, but the, but the big sins, the, the ones that I have no idea what to do with. That Jesus is taking care of all kinds of these sins. So it's a, it's a great question, and it comes from a position of tremendous faith. And because what Paul has been talking about in the last three chapters is the way we access what Jesus has done is through faith, we might expect that Paul's answer would be, you bet, go right ahead, right? Or we might expect him to say at least, well, Yes, technically, but there's some, you know, provisos and codicils and there's some asterisks and some fine print, but basically, yes. So that might be the answer we would expect Paul to answer because he said how important it is to have faith. And this question comes from a position of faith. So that's what we might expect, but that's not what Paul says. Paul says, absolutely not. He says, don't be a, a fool of course you can't keep doing that. And he says, all of us died to sin, how can we still live in it? All of us died to sin, how can we still live in it? So what does he mean by that? Well, the metaphor that Paul is going to use um, to talk about this is the, is the idea of slavery. He says, he says that sins are the result of us doing the things that sin commands us to do. That, that, uh, the individual sinful actions that we, we make in our lives, um, or inactions, the things we fail to do or do, it does kind of, doesn't Did we get it turned off properly? Well, it's been off for hours. We're learning about our, for those of you online, um, there's a, there's a noise right now that, um, uh sounds a lot like the new alarm we don't really know how to work yet so um, so uh one of us is is uh, going to um, look into that so so uh the idea that that paul is is working with here is that sin um, which which he treats as a force this kind of unseen force that why do we do that well because sin sin tells us to do it and he says he says um, that we are that those individual sinful actions are the result of us obeying the orders of sin and so the metaphor that he's going to develop is the idea of, of being enslaved to sin. The, the idea here is that, um, in the first century, this would have been an incredibly easy, a very familiar thing to talk about because, because about, depending on where you lived, up to 40% of the population were slaves. So everybody understood how slavery worked. Everybody understood, you know, um, you know, we might say, well, I don't like what my boss tells me to do, but I mean, they understood it at a much deeper level. Sometimes, You don't like it, but you do it anyway. You know that sort of thing, and you know you can't stop. So that would have been a very easy metaphor for them to understand. Now we don't have—I mean, we we still have slavery today, but it's called human trafficking, and it's illegal and it's underground. So we're not as familiar with it. So the the metaphor isn't as as helpful to us. But but Paul um, is working from the perspective of a first-century Jew, and so. To a Jew, slavery—you can't hardly say slavery—without bringing up the idea of Exodus, because the Jews were liberated from slavery in Egypt when God sent Moses to bring them out of Egypt. And so, so um, if you—if we can't understand the idea of being enslaved to sin, we can at least understand the idea of relocating, right? So we were here and we're going there, or we've been brought out of there. So if you think of the story of the Exodus. That helps us to, to get at what Paul's talking about. Because, because if you think about it, you know, a a lot of people, there's probably a couple of uh, people who grew up in Alaska, but most of us moved here at some point. So we know what it's like to, to move places. And so we understand some of the, some of the ways that that works. And when you, when you are in a particular place, you have to obey the rules of that place, right? If you, if you live in the United Kingdom, you have to drive on the left side of the road. If, if you live in France, you have to speak French. And I mean, you actually have to speak French. So, instead of saying video game streamer, now you say, joyeux animateur on en direct. Right? Or something like that. So, so you actually have to speak French. Um, so, he says, he says, that's the way it is. That's, you know, we understand that if you're there, you have to do those things. You know, if you're still in Egypt, then you have to do what the Egyptians tell you. You have to be ultimately a slave. And Paul says, that's not our situation. All of us died to sin. We're going to look at that more. But he says, all of us died to sin. How can we still live in it? How can we still live in Egypt? How can we still drive on the left side of the road? How can we still say, whatever it was, right? Um, how can we do that? because Because we don't live there anymore. We, we We live someplace else, so the big idea here is Paul's saying that what happens in Sin City stays in sin City, right so whatever sin city you think of right paul is saying if you if you go there, well, of course you 're going to behave like people do in sin City. If you go to egypt you 're going to behave like a slave in Egypt, but you 're not there anymore you 're not there anymore, and the behaviors associated with that should stay. Back in sin City <coughs> so that's that's paul's big point in in you know the first two verses of this chapter, but he's going to spend the rest of the chapter and, and all of our reading looking at how that actually plays out what is the, how did it happen first of all, how did we get out and then secondly, what does that mean for us if we are out of sin City? so the first question is how do we get out so Paul says in verse three <coughs> He says, Don't you know that all who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were, sorry, um, <laughs> so he says, baptized into his death. So, uh, there's a, a metaphor, Paul is still working with this metaphor of, of the uh, exodus from slavery in Egypt. So, uh, that is kind of lost to us, and the reason for that is 2,000 years have gone by, and We've lost some of the some of the flavor of the original words that Paul would have used. For us, the word baptism is a church word. Uh, I, I I don't know everything about you, but I'm pretty sure you have never used the word baptism in your entire life, except when talking about Christianity, right? Has anyone just? Alright, okay. That's what I thought. We don't, we don't use the word baptism, but, but for Paul's audience, the word baptism would have made all kinds of sense. It was like, a, a, a baptism means to dip something or to dunk it. When, when you are doing your laundry, you, you baptize the clothes in your wash tub. So this is, you, you baptize them, right? They would have understood this. So, and so, so if you think of going into the water, that would have made them think of, well, of course, you know, baptism is kind of like, Going through the Red Sea, where God led them out of Egypt through the Red Sea. And they would have said, okay, I totally get that. So for them, they would have understood the idea of baptism in that way. So he says, don't you know that all who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So if, you know, working with this metaphor, that's how you get out of Sin City. That's how you get out of Egypt. You go through the Red Sea. And the way you do it is by <coughs> being baptized. But he says, it's not, your baptism that does it, your baptism unites you with Christ's baptism. So you are baptized into his death. So our second point, or <laughs> the second thing Paul's getting at here is that Christians are dunked, they're they're dipped, they're they're immersed, they're submerged in the death of Christ. And if you think of the the story of the of, of the Exodus, what happens, right? The the people of God are led through the um led through the sea and then the sea closes behind them, and the armies of Pharaoh are lost in the sea that results. So um, we are saved from sin by the death of Christ. <coughs> so that's that's um, uh, the way we did it. And he says, okay, so how do we know that we're united with Christ? He says, therefore, we were buried together with him through baptism into his death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too can walk in newness of, of life. And he continues, <laughs> um, if, if we were united in a death like his, we will also be united together in a resurrection like his. <coughs> so, he uses this language, united together with him. And um this is this is something <coughs> that Paul sees happening through through um the baptism that we have with Christ. <coughs> Pardon me. <coughs> he says he says, um the, the word united together means grown together or tangled up. Um and, and it comes out of gardening. It it means when when two trees get tangled up together, then their their trunks are, are entwined. And you can't do anything to one without doing it to the other. If you were to chop down one tree, if you were to crucify one of those trees, well, the other one would be crucified too, right? So, in this kind of metaphorical or symbolic sense, that that what happens to one happens to the other. That we are, and, and Paul actually makes up some words here um, that he says, he, um, or we don't know if he made them up, but but they're not found in any other surviving literature from that period. So it seems as if Paul. Paul um, has made up some words. He said um, that we were buried together with him. Literally, what Paul says is we were co-buried with him, um, and uh, so that we too can walk in newness of life. If we're united together, we'll also be united together in a resurrection like his. We will be co-raised with him. So, So Paul is making up this language to describe what happens because we have been, you know, our tree got chopped down because Jesus got chopped down. And if somehow a tree could be raised back to life, then the one that was tangled up with it would also be raised to new life. So Paul says the way that this works is if we're co-buried with Christ, we're also co-raised. So um, that is <clears throat> that is the the specific thing that has happened uh, in our baptism. We're, it, if we are baptized with Christ... In in his baptism, the baptism of his death, we will also be raised to new life um, uh, on the other side of the Red Sea. So he says, "This is what we know: the person we used to be was crucified with him in order to get rid of the corpse that had been controlled by sin. So um, that's that's the specific way that law that sin lost uh, control of us. That way, we wouldn't be slaves to sin anymore because the person who has died has been freed from sin's power, and you know." That's just true. You know, if you picture a slave, you know, in Egypt, the one thing is that Pharaoh can't give any orders to dead people. So when, when you are, when you are, um, dead, sin loses, or, or your, your slave master loses control over you. So he says, from, from sin's perspective, we have died. And he says, but we have not simply died. He says, if we have died with Christ, we have faith that we will also live with him. The reason we died is because we're tangled up with Christ, and we know we continue to be tangled up with Christ. So in his resurrection, we too will be raised. He says, we know, and really at this point, he's kind of um, presenting his his the same couple of verses again. He's kind of saying it again with different words to make sure it comes through. So he says, we know that Christ has been raised from the dead, and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. And in the same way that he's talked about sin as this kind of power of personified force, He's saying the same thing about death. Sin and death for Paul are very closely related ideas. And he says, he says, sin loses control over us and so does death. Uh, death no longer has power over him. And in the same way, he no longer has power over us. So he says he, Jesus, died to sin once and for all with his death, but he lives for God with his life. He's, he's under new management. He's no longer a slave in Egypt. He's free in, in the promised land that he is now able to live for God. He doesn't have to take orders from sin. So, he says, in the same way, you should also consider yourself dead to sin, but alive for Christ, God in Christ Jesus. That in Christ Jesus, tangled up with Christ, we should consider ourselves dead to sin, just like he is. And we should consider ourselves alive to Christ, just like he is. So, sin no longer has any power over us. So, Um, That's, that's the good news, and that means you'll never sin again. Right? Right? You know, I can pray and we leave and everything's solved. Well, of course, sin has, you know, sin no longer has any power over us. We're not in Egypt anymore. But if you remember the story of the Exodus, what happens when they get out of the desert? (laughs) They start saying, I wish I was back in Egypt. It was so nice there. We had leaks and infanticide and, well, it wasn't all good, but I mean, we had leaks. We had flesh pots. It was, it was great in Egypt because, you know, you have your selective memory. And that's what sin does to us in the same way sin lies to us. Sin, sin tells us great big whoppers. It says you have to do this. Sin, you know, sin is a slave master. Hey, you, get over here. Do this thing, right? That's what sin does. And we can go back into that habit of saying, well, I've always had to obey in the past. I guess I better do it now or... He'll hurt me somehow, right? So, so he says sin, sin will lie to you. Sin, sin will make threats. Sin will bluff. Sin will bluster. So you're going to go on being exposed to the demands of sin. And that's why he's telling us we, we should re- consider ourselves, um, dead to sin because, because sin will make threats and bluster. Sin is, that, that's all sin can do. Sin no longer has any authority over us, but it won't stop sin from telling us, Hey, do this thing. So, <laughs> it's even louder for me. Um, so, I'll just not. Um, so, um, so sin is limited to uh, threats and blusters. So, so, when sin says, you know, here, do this thing that's kind of shady. You know, uh, go all passive-aggressive. You know, don't let them get the last word. You have to, you know... It would be terrible if they got the last word, so you're going to have to get it yourself. If sin, sin tells us these, these lies, if sin says, you know, just one drink, no problem. You can handle it. You've been sober for months, right? If sin tells us, hey, you know, the doctor was pretty happy with your weight. Maybe you can just have another slice of pie, right? Sin tells us these lies. And what we need to do, Paul says, is to consider ourselves dead to sin. You know, we use that phrase, we talk about, you know, you're dead to me, right? You know, that after that terrible thing he did, that person's dead to me. He says, think of sin that way. Sin is dead to you. And, and more importantly, you're dead to sin. So, it would have problems on a Sunday morning, of course. <laughs> Not on Friday afternoon. So um, sin is now uh, uh, limited and uh, we should consider ourselves dead to sin. So he says, so then don't let sin rule your body. Now, if if you told the slave this, right, don't let your slave master rule over you. It's like it's a ridiculous thing to say. Of course, the the slave master will do whatever he tells you. You know, you have to do whatever he says. But he says, don't let him because he's not your slave master anymore. You're no longer under his control. You don't live in Sin City. You don't have to drive on the left side of the road, and you don't have to speak French. He's not your boss. So he says, don't offer parts of your body to sin to be used as weapons or, or instruments. Don't be. Don't don't let him tell you what to do with your body. And and by body, Paul doesn't just mean you know our, our physical body. He means the whole um, human self, everything except the spirit. Really, you know your your mind. Your, your thoughts, he says that that because sin cannot force you to do anything anymore, that it's up to you to decide, <clears throat> am I going to offer my parts? Am I going to say, ah, uh, I have to do what he says, right? He says, don't do that. Don't, don't give in. Don't offer parts of your body to sin to be used as weapons to do wrong. Instead, he says, here's what you do. Present yourselves to God as people who've been brought back to life from the dead. This is this is what prayer is all about. When when you are hungry or or angry or lonely or tired, you know the, the the times when sin is most powerfully whispering in your ear. When when you feel tempted to do something, that's a great time to turn to God and say, "Hey, you know what? I'm new here. What side of the road should I drive on? What's the word for video game streamer? I'm new here. Help me figure this out." Show me what I can do. He says, present yourself as those who have been brought back to life from the dead. He says, pray. And offer all the parts of your body to God to be used as weapons to do right. Say, God, I'm I'm trusting you. I have great faith. That's been from way back in verse 1. I have great faith. And I'm trusting you to tell me what to do. What side of the road should I drive on? And when you tell me I will do it. I will not drive on the left side of the road out of habit or out of fear or because I've bought into some lie. I will, I will trust you enough to try it out. We'll see what, where, where that goes. I will offer the parts of my body to God to be used as weapons to do right. And what Paul says is that's why you will do right. He says, when sin summons, present yourself to God. You don't have to resist sin. You don't have to, you know, white knuckle it and, you know, gut it out. He says, no. Tell God, hey, I'm new here. I'm still figuring this place out. I spent a lot of time in Sin City. And I need you, God, to tell me, what side of the road do I drive on? How do I do this? How do I work this? What's the right way to do this? Present yourself to God. So, he says, he promises sin will have no power over you because you aren't under law. But under grace, so that's that's what Paul says. And I'm going to add one more thing. Paul doesn't say it, but it's it's implicit in everything he said so far. Um, and and that is, I would, if if you are not already baptized, I would encourage you to consider being baptized. If you are a believer, um, uh, speak to me because I would love to um, help you do that. And the reason for that is that is that baptism is is the sign that we have been united with this tree. Right, it is the sign that we have passed through the, the the Red Sea to get out of Sin City, and those are metaphors, right? They're, they they live in our head, right? But we can lose the plot, we can forget that, um, particularly if we are hungry or angry or lonely or tired. You know, those are the great times where we forget those things, and so they're they're all in our head. But but God gave us, Christ gave us. Something tangible. He gave us the sign of baptism, the gift of baptism, so that when sin is telling us, you know, you've got to do it, um, when 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 we're being lied to by sin, we can say, look, all right, I can't I can't argue with you. I'm I'm in a vulnerable place right now. I can't argue, but here's what I do know. I know I've been baptized. So, and everything else flows out of that. I know I've been baptized. God gave us a tangible sign of this metaphorical thing that Paul describes with these two different metaphors, the idea of the tree that's grown together and the idea of, uh, uh, leaving Egypt. So if you have not been baptized, consider whether you should be. So we can be baptized, but ultimately the idea is we don't live in Sin City. And what stays, what, what, what happens in Sin City is supposed to stay in Sin City. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the work that Jesus has done, that through his baptism, we have actually been freed. We have passed through the Red Sea. We no longer live in Egypt. We no longer live in Sin City. Help us to trust that because of what Jesus has done, we can present ourselves to you. We can learn the rules here in this new place we find ourselves. We don't have to believe the lies that sin will present to us. We ask you to do these things in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.